Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, 14 from the exile to Christ. That's our scripture for today. Anybody a little bit nervous that I'm going to preach on 42 generations? Anyone a little nervous that I might take a genealogy and think that somehow there's a sermon in there? No? 42 generations, and Matthew mentions them all. Now, for many people, the genealogy part of the Bible is the boring part. That's why some never get past Genesis 5. It's pretty good until that. And then people put the Bible down. The most boring part of the Bible, some people say, spoke with a college student recently who said, you know, they had a guest lecturer come to our class, a room full of psychology majors. Here comes the specialist, important psychologist sharing his work. So boring, by the time class is over, nobody wants to be a psychology major anymore, right? Sometimes happens with the Bible. We get to Genesis 5 if we have to read the genealogies. Well, for some reason, Matthew recites and mentions all of those 42 generations by name, I believe, so then he can go on and tell you the story he really wants to tell you. The story we wait all year to recite in church, the foundation of Christmas, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. And the plot moves now from about zero to 90 in two seconds flat with Matthew. There's no warning. There's no pretending. There's no protection from what he needs to say. He doesn't soften the details. He just keeps on going. Verse 19, he keeps it up. He blurts out, she's found to be with child, keeps going. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, and he didn't want to expose her to the public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. And Matthew keeps going 90 miles an hour, but I am stuck back at that little verse. Mary was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. I've worked all week to try and imagine what that would feel like. The questions, the confusion, the fear, the anxiety, the frustration, the impulse that somewhere along the way she must have done something wrong, somehow brought this upon herself. I mean, she's found to be with child. Mary's story is just one verse in Matthew's gospel. Mary doesn't speak. She's not spoken to. She may not even be in the room for all we can tell from Matthew 1, verse 18. She doesn't get an option, a little box. Do you accept these instructions? If so, here's your mission. It's just one little verse. She's found to be with child. The definition of anxiety is distress. One definition of anxiety is distress, often over an uncertain future. Fear over an uncertain future. For Mary, now there is fear over her uncertain future. It is an anxious advent for her. Advent, this season, these weeks leading up to Christmas, is the time Christians around the world not only reflect on what it is that Jesus came into the world, but it is the time we pause and 
evaluate again what it is to long for the coming of Jesus again. What it is to long for Jesus to usher in the hope and the peace that God promised in the Bible. That is Advent. But for Mary, it's an anxious Advent. Mary, who never speaks, only spoken to and spoken about in Matthew's Gospel. Now, if you're like me, when I read the text and there's just not quite enough detail to satisfy me, I just turn to another part of the Bible where I know there's more to the story. So I would go to Luke right now. Just go to Luke chapter 1 and 2 because that's the part of the story that I actually like better anyhow. You know, Mary and, Mary and Joseph get on the donkey and they travel and there's no room in the end and the baby's born in the stable and laid in the feeding trough, but the angels come in the night sky and the shepherds are around and glory to God and lots of music. Now in that version of the story, Luke 1, Luke 2, Mary at least gets Gabriel, right? You remember how that part goes? Gabriel comes to Mary and says, greetings, you are highly favored. There's a conversation. She asks, how did this come to be? Gabriel answers her back. There's conversation for Mary in Luke. Then she gets to spend time with her cousin Elizabeth. More conversation. The text says there she pondered things in her heart. She actually accepts her mission in Luke's gospel. I kind of like Luke better for Mary's sake. So if you are like me, that's what I do at times like this. Well, what does Luke have to say about Mary? Because Matthew only gave me one little verse. It is an anxious advent for Mary in Matthew. And sometimes that's really how the Bible reads. There was a Republican senator in Washington, D.C. this week bemoaning, laboring the fact that their state has plenty of jobs. Why don't people come to their state? Surplus of jobs, but no one will come and take the state, that these jobs in their state. He's quoted in the newspaper, quote, our problem here is that everyone thinks this is a cold, miserable place to live. Well, he's from North Dakota. <laughs> it is a cold, miserable place to live. He goes on to say, but North Dakota is the best-kept little secret. No, it really is a cold, miserable place to live because we've traveled through there, right? That's why there's a surplus of jobs. It really is like that. Matthew 1, it really is like this for Mary. She's not spoken to. She doesn't speak back. She doesn't get explanations. When you find yourself doing, as I just suggested, moving to another part of the Bible to fill in the gaps, I invite you to do as I try to do. Just stay a little bit longer. Matthew created this problem. Now, I'd like to just stay with him a little longer and see if he can help solve it. Can he offer anything to Mary? And here is where there, I find a little bit of potential. This is what Mary knows so far in Matthew 1, verse 18. She knows that somehow a child grows within her from some source outside of herself. The text says the Holy Spirit. She knows her options are between very bad and very, very, very bad right now. She knows that because she's been found with child, her options are... Well, jo Joseph could divorce her quietly. Next week, Pastor Dustin will pick up the story there. Lots of conversation for Joseph in Matthew's Gospel, by the way. Mary knows that's one of the options. Joseph can divorce her quietly. She also knows another option is that the father of the baby and the mother of the baby can be taken out and just stoned, pun punished in public. That's an option. Not too good. Another option, 
Mary's father and brother could actually kill her, go ahead and put her to, to death. That's an honor killing. So she doesn't bring shame to the family. See, Mary knows all of this. This much she knows. Her options are from very bad to very, very bad right now. Mary also knows she lives in a time of terror. In an era of terror. There was a photo in the New York Times this week. These are current times now being photographed in the Middle East. A struggle. The images of Jewish settlers being drugged from their home in Hebron on the West Bank. It's an age-old struggle. Who will conquer the land? For Mary and Joseph and Jesus, that image is their story also. Only instead of Israeli soldiers for Mary and Joseph and Jesus, this is Herod. And Herod's soldiers, Rome put Herod in charge, took Herod three years to move through the territory, village by village, burning homes, torching buildings, torturing people, taking what he wanted for himself and his men. Village by village, Herod moved, persuading people he was in charge. It's a life of terror. Mary knows this. Terror everywhere she looks. Herod's in charge of the peasants. He's in charge of the economy. He's in charge of any threat that Rome has, any military threat, which is why there is terror for everyone. Mary knows these stories. They must have been told around supper time table in her home growing up. Mary also knows the stories, though, of the Jewish people, of the Israelite nation. Mary also knows that Israel stood up to terror again and again, peasant revolts, Jewish revolts, when they were terrorized. Mary would know of these resistant movements. Herod is very bad, but Israel is very determined. Mary would at least know that. Terror and anxiety seem to dominate Matthew's story, and I invite you to watch all month here at Calamesa. We'll follow Matthew's story for these five weeks. That seems to be a thread you can pull all the way through these first two chapters. But what we might want to consider this morning is that in the genealogy, the most boring part of Scripture for, for many folks, the part where you want to put your Bible down, close it, and walk away, that nestled there within the genealogy is a little bit of information, a little bit of comfort for Mary, a little relief, a poor, simple, pregnant teenager. But Matthew's given her a little bit of hope. You see, in these genealogies, Israel's leading men lead out for 42 generations. But if you take time to read those 18, 17 verses, you will notice what Mary must have known also. Four women interrupt the genealogy of Israel. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth. Bathsheba. They're listed in your Bible, verse 3, 5, and 6. Maybe those are names Mary can recall. Maybe she heard their stories also around the table growing up. It's an interesting list for Matthew. If Matthew would just like to throw in a few women who were, uh, let's see, some Gentile women, because all four of those women are Gentiles, they're not Israelites. Well, the list would look a lot longer because they acquired a lot of Gentiles on the way over the years. If Matthew wants to call attention to women who had unusual or difficult pregnancies, wouldn't he list Sarah and Rachel and Hannah? If Matthew just wants to list very bad women who did very bad things, again, the list could be much longer. But we get Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, four women 
with four unusual stories, unusual actions. If Mary's paying attention, maybe she can find just a little bit of comfort there. Tamar. Tamar, treated badly, wrongly accused. In revenge, she slept with her father-in-law. You know the story. These are the stories people never want you to read in church, by the way. Slept with her father-in-law. But because of that, the line of Judah continued. Rahab, Bible calls her a prostitute, nestled in the wall of Jericho there because of her kindness to the Israelite spies and their kindness to her in return. An entire land is captured from the Canaanite kings and Israel moves on into the promised land. Ruth, the death of her husband, that means she can stay in Moab. She's a Gentile from Moab. She doesn't need to go on, move over to Israel's territory, but she does. During a time where there's a shortage of men, death and famine, she ends up with Boaz, and Israel's line continues because Ruth is present. Bathsheba, King David's prize. You remember that story? King David had Bathsheba's husband killed out in the front line. They conceive a baby together. That baby dies. Bathsheba has tremendous pain. But Bathsheba goes on to become the mother of the future king of Israel, Solomon. The genealogy there, 42 generations, is interrupted with four women, four unusual stories. Dangerous, unpredictable, frightening stories, terror and anxiety stories, really. Yet somehow the God of Abraham and Sarah was with those four women and their past. Maybe Mary can see that that God could be with her in her circumstance. There is a little bit more relief in the genealogy. If you look in your Bible, verse 1 and verse 18 are, are read about the same way. This is the beginning of the story of Jesus Christ. The genesis of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham. And down in verse 18, this is the genesis, a genesis of Jesus Christ. It goes like this. Matthew can use whatever language he wants right now to say, and another baby was born, and so and so begat and begat. But he takes that very special word that the Hebrews know from the beginning of their creation story. This is the genesis, the beginnings of the heaven and the earth when God created. He takes the very same word and says, this is the beginning of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know what Mary hears right there, there when, she's, when she hears this is the generation of Jesus Christ. Jesus, Joshua, Deliverer, Christ, Messiah, Anointed One. I don't know exactly what words she hears, but she must be thinking, this is the beginning of relief. This is the beginning of to be delivered. This is, right now, an intervention Mary must hear somehow, this is the beginning of salvation. This is the beginning of rescue. Oh, this is the story where God is God. That's what the genealogy says. This is the story where God is God. And I believe that is the point of a virgin conception, that God is doing something unique in this intervention in history. So the poet can later say about Mary, terror of all terrors, that I have bore heaven in my womb. There is a little bit of comfort for Mary there. Mary has choices like you and I. When we're anxious, when we feel anxiety and uncertainty about our future, she can take the little bit of information she has now and make a decision. She has options. You and I 
maybe many of us in the room today feeling a little bit anxious this Advent. We take the little bit of information we have and we make decisions. We select options also. Is it an anxious Advent for you? In a world where the news story in America continues to spiral more and again, day after day, week after week, where there seems to be no bottom or basement to how bad it could get in America, is it an anxious advent for you? It is anxious for some, if not you, some you know, some in your family who have lost their jobs. I know that has touched this church already. It makes us anxious when our income is lost. I sat in a room this week around a table. People were supposed to introduce themselves at the conference office, sitting across the table from someone who's worked for the church all of his life, 65 years old, ready to retire, could retirement eligible, introduced himself to the group, and then followed it by saying, and today I have 50% less money in my retirement account than I did three months ago. And those of us who work for the church understand 50% of something very small is something so small you cannot retire. Makes people anxious, this Advent. Anxious because of the spiral in our world. Anxious because we, we really don't know what tomorrow's headlines are going to say now. Anxious, some people wonder, is this really the end? How much worse could it get in our world? So, so that when I walk in the bookstore a couple of weeks ago, in the Christian bookstore here in Redlands, Right in the front, I almost had to fall over top of this table, all bundled up in one table, tiered up tall as I am, all the terror books that they owned. A table full of terror. These are the titles. Listen. Armageddon. Countdown to the Apocalypse. Global Warning. Apocalypse of Akhmadinejad. The Jerusalem Countdown. The Epicenter. What in the world is going on? All of the bad news, all of the terror tales collected in one table. We almost had to trip over to get into the bookstore. And by the way, in many of these books, terror is at the hand of God, is the plan of God. A table full of terror in a store, by the way, that's supposed to carry the good news. We have choices this holiday, just like Mary had choices. With as much information as you have today, if you are anxious or uncertain about the future, you have options. At least three options. One option is we do nothing and we go internal with our anxiety and we wreak havoc on ourselves and we sometimes become sick and our health fails and, and our abilities fail and our and the, the fallout is apparent. It's coming from inside of us. When we turn the anxiety inward, I will never forget walking in a patient's room at the medical center years ago, a patient so anxious and afraid that she had a disease, she would not go to the doctor. And by the time she came to the hospital with a gaping wound on her skin, she was dead in a few weeks. Sometimes we take our anxiety and we go inward. We do nothing else with it because we're so confused over how to handle it. Sometimes we take our anxiety and we turn it on one another. 
That is why they're telling us now domestic violence is on the increase during this time of economic downturn in our world. Did you know that? Homes that were already a little tenuous, people who were already a little bitey and on each other's nerves, it's pretty easy for them now to pick up their hand and swat someone when they get anxious and uncertain about their future. The use of of um, all of those things which would calm us, prescription drugs and alcohol and all those, those addictions we have to stuff our fear and uncertainty on the rise right now. Sometimes we take our anxiety and we turn it on ourselves, and we turn it on other people. People who would normally behave fairly decently behave a little bad because they're anxious. And then we can take our anxiety and turn it on God. We can begin to ask, as Mary might have, well, did this come from you? Why did it come from you? What is this terror supposed to teach me? And if this is what God is like, I'm not sure I want to participate in Advent, an anxious Advent. Can I give you two assignments, church? Those of you who are visiting, you can um, just pretend like you're going to play along. But the rest of you, church, who are regulars, I know you. I'm knowing you well now. I, I believe you'll actually do this if I ask you. Two assignments, really, to help us with an anxious advent. The first one is that we would look in inside of our homes and inside of our most precious relationships this holiday, and we would promise that we won't visit terror on one another in our homes. So can you just look at the family sitting with you or your close friends sitting with you, those of you who are comfortable, whoever's with you from your family, look at them right now and say, you are not my enemy. Would you do that? You are not my problem. And you have to mean it now. Would you look at those same people and also say this line, church, I will not visit terror on you. I will not visit terror on you this Advent in our home because I am anxious about my world. Could you promise that to one another? Could you promise that in the church? You'll not visit your anxiety and terror on the church because you don't know what to do with it. You'll lash out at someone here. Can you remind yourself all month long, you're not going to vi visit terror on your family because you're anxious about the world. Uh, there's a second assignment here. And this one has to do with God. When you only get a little bit of information about God, and this is all you have to deal with, Matthew 1.17, and the little bit of information Mary has, what do you do next? Here's another assignment. Sometime over the holiday... Check up, look up somebody in your genealogy. Could be someone you're related to. It could be someone older in this church. One of the beautiful things about our church is the generations at Calamasa Church. Could be somebody right here. Find someone who's lived with God longer than you have. Most of you can do this. Find someone who's lived longer with God, who has a little more information sometime over the holiday when you're done talking about the weather and your trips and the parties and what you're doing to celebrate. Don't forget the most important questions of the season. Ask someone, what do you do 
when you're anxious, and how does God comfort you? Ask someone in your genealogy. When you're anxious, how can you tell God is present? Ask someone who lives a life of faith. When God visits you, what does it look like? What does it feel like? How do you know it's God communicating with you? Sometime over the holiday, look up someone in your genealogy and ask them, because I have such little information, could you help me know when God comforts you, what does it look like? What does it feel like? And learn from those people. The pastoral staff this week will feed our retirement community here in the church. It's one of the highlights of our year to gather with our retirees. One of the reasons, friends, is because when I sit with people older than me who have lived with God a very long time, I hear expressions of faith that are so inspiring. I could sit with older ones for hours because of the stories they have to tell about God. Sometime this holiday, look someone up who can comfort you with what they know about God. This is God, after all. And I believe that's what Matthew has been trying to communicate in the genealogy. This is the God of Abraham and Sarah, after all. This is the God who's been with the nations, blessing the generations, year after year, century after century. It's that God, after all. You know, I've told you my father's a dentist and how much I hate to have my teeth worked on and how I would sit in his chair and take my fingernails and push them into my skin until I was injuring myself sitting in the dental chair. And I remember one day he looked down at me and he looked at my ridiculous marks on my arm and he looked at my face and he looked at my arms and he said to me, is that really better? Is that better? Because it's me working on your teeth. Matthew just told Mary, it's the God of Israel moving in your womb. Anxious Advent? There is not one thing in your life today that's producing anxiety that the God of Israel cannot also comfort. Let's pray. We want to believe you, God, and take you at your word that you can comfort our anxiousness, but you know us well. And you know we turn inward, and you know we turn on one another, and you know we are even capable of turning on you when we are anxious. So we take the little bit of information you give us in the genealogy story today, and we supplement that with an awful lot of faith that you also give us today. And we affirm that we will go with the God of Israel. We announce today we will let you comfort our anxiety. And we will help one another with this along the way. May it not be an anxious advent for anyone present this morning, God. That is my prayer in the name of Jesus. I invite you, church, to say, Amen. Amen.
We're going to receive our offering right now, and I just want to remind you as we come to year end and our Christmas offering on December 20 that you be thinking now how you'll participate in that special offering on December 20. While I'm talking, the children are going to come forward because we have saved the most precious part of our worship service for the end. Our children's choir will sing this morning. We thank Todd and Rhonda Nelson for leading out. Church, you will be so blessed because you saw this this morning, and may God bless our offering as we also receive that.
Thank you for blessing us. Can we pray again? Shall we pray? Let's try. Wow, God, thank you for the reminder through these children of a Savior born in a manger, of glory in the sky, of good news that changes our world. Thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. You can all say, Amen. Thank you.